Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Usually somebody will do that to try to get your attention. Or in the service they'll go, attention! To try to get your attention. And with that thought in mind, turn to the book of Nahum. Nahum! Nahum. In the Old Testament, it's one of the minor prophets with a major message. No one who is used by God is minor. So we're in the book of Nahum. We're going to go to chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to give you a little background. Uh, Nahum was a prophet around the same time in history as Jeremiah and Zephaniah. Also, there's a possibility that he overlapped with Isaiah. Now, an interesting thing with Nahum the prophet is that his prophecy was towards Nineveh. And if you were here on Wednesday nights when I was going through the book of Jonah, if you remember, Jonah was sent to Nineveh and he didn't want to go. If you remember, he went in the opposite direction. And as we saw, it was a whale of a tail. Jonah ended up back in Nineveh, and God used a great fish to send him in the other direction. Well, this is about 100 years later we're looking at. And Nahum has a prophecy against Nineveh this time. And we'll get into more of what happens there. But Jeremiah and Zephaniah, who were also prophets in this time, they were directing their judgment against Judah, which was the northern part of Israel. The Jewish people in Judah had turned their backs on the Lord. And many times God used other nations to try to get their attention. And the message tonight, the title is Attention. I think God is always trying to get your attention and my attention. He uses it, of course, through His Word. He uses it through other people that are believers. But He can also use it through other people that are thorns in your side, whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian, even if they put them right next to your work. Just to any way He can get your attention. He can get it through the elements in our world, and it's amazing how much he loves us that he would do anything to get our attention. Nineveh, the name itself, is the abode of Ninus, and it was a pagan god, the home of Ninus. 
It was, it's situated or was situated in the northern part of Iraq. Remnants, archaeological digs, they now find the remnants in the city of Mosul, which is there today, M-O-S-U-L. If you remember years ago, back with Saddam Hussein, his sons Husay and Uday were killed in a gun battle in Mosul in 2003. So that was the area where Nineveh was located. Now Nahum, his name means comforter. And the reason I'm telling you some of these names, it's, it's great, especially in the Old Testament. Almost every name has a meaning. Um, almost every name has a biblical purpose. And if you dissect the names, it will help you in your study of the scriptures. It'll make a lot more sense. He was a prophet that predicted the fall and the destruction of Nineveh. Now, he was an Elkoshite. We're going to see that as we get into the first few verses. Interesting word, Elkoshite. It means God the ensnarer. God the ensnarer. Now, when you ensnare something, you catch or you trap it in a snare. If you're a believer here tonight, God caught you. He's got you. It's a good trap. It's a good catch. It's good to be caught by God. If you're not a believer, well, God will set traps along the way throughout your life to try to get your attention because He loves you so much. You're His creation. He knows that the only way you're going to be fulfilled is by giving your life to Him because He promises an abundant life. That doesn't mean a pain-free life. That doesn't mean a care-free life. But it's a life of freedom in the midst of adversity on your way to heaven to meet him face to face one day. Back at this time of history, Nineveh was one of the most populous cities in ancient times. Fertile lands, beautiful lands. Great for agriculture, and it was full of animals just grazing on the pastures. Today, this ancient area is inhabited by the Sunni Muslims and the Kurds. A lot of times you'll read about that right out of the papers, what's going on. And ISIS is in there, and there's a lot of battles going on right in Iraq, which is where Nineveh was in Iraq. This particular prophecy that we're going to look at sets forth more clearly than most other prophecies the truth concerning the wrath of God and its national application. The how nations come under God's wrath, not just individuals. Nations will be held accountable by God. They won't be left off the hook. Nahum was most likely right... Uh, written during Nineveh's power. Probably at the height of its power is when this book was written. And now let's turn to the actual Word of God, chapter 1, verse 1. The burden against Nineveh 
the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. Now, an interesting thing in the study of it, the burden, the word burden, also is translated as the word massa, M-A-S-S-A. And if you look at the meaning of that word, you also find out that's one of Ishmael's sons. And I thought that was very interesting. If you know Ishmael, was Abraham's son through Hagar. And if you know that story, he was a son of the flesh. The son of the promise was Isaac. And as I shared with you before with the story of Jonah, you had the son of the promise, Isaac, the son of the flesh, Ishmael. That was beginning of everything that's going on today between the Arabs and the Jews. Ishmael goes on and becomes one of the Arab tribes, while, of course, Isaac goes on and is a Jewish tribe. Just like they were fighting back then, they're fighting now. It's not a coincidence. The flesh and the spirit will always fight against each other, and it's wrapped up in our world system. The same thing that you're struggling with, with your spirit and the flesh, is nationally being carried out in nations. It's not a coincidence. It isn't. God has written his word throughout history from individuals to nations. The burden is also called an oracle, which is a command or a revelation from God. From Nineveh's walls, their temples, their palaces, their inscriptions, it gives a witness to a city that flourished up to the time it was destroyed in 612 B.C. In other words, the archaeological digs that they found found a prosperous, rich city, rich in culture. I'd like to zero in on uh, verse 1 with the vision and read you some scriptures. In Acts 18.9, it talks about, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. And the Lord said to Paul, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. In Acts 26.19, he said, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In Acts 16.10, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Acts 9.12, And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit, capital S, on all the flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. I'm going to encourage all of us to pray for godly visions if you're young. And if you're older, pray for dreams that God will speak to you in visions and dreams. He's doing that, you know in different parts of the world, especially the parts of the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is prohibited. 
I think it's over in over 50 countries. The gospel of Jesus Christ is illegal. Think about that. Over 53 countries, the gospel is illegal. In other words, if we were in one of those countries right now and this was a secret meeting, people came in here, we could be beheaded because we're here talking about Jesus Christ. That's real. That's really going on. If you were here a couple weeks ago with Pastor Ed who was here and he was talking about the Sudan and uh, southern Sudan and going to the Middle East and fighting ISIS or going where the people and minister to the people who are under ISIS control. Some of the men that he has met and trained are dead now because they know that once they leave and go out into the villages to preach the gospel, they could be killed because they're in one of those nations. We're very fortunate, everybody, that we live in this country that still allows us the freedom to meet here, to get into God's Word. But again, I encourage you, give us all godly dreams and visions that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be so on fire of the reality of you. Just like Paul, when he was going to Damascus to kill Christians, God appeared to him. And Paul said, Lord, Lord, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Let us know Jesus in that, uh, that realness. Just like those people in the Middle East who are being shut off from the gospel, but God is appearing to them in vision and dreams. And they're renouncing their Islamic faith, and they're becoming born-again Christians, and they're preaching to their families and relatives and friends the gospel of Jesus Christ, and thousands, not handfuls, thousands and thousands in the Middle East are coming to Christ. Miracles are taking place over there. And I believe miracles, we don't see that much in this country because we don't have that real tight relationship with Jesus Christ like we should have and that we're called to have. Last one, Acts 9, 10, sound. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Lord, here I am. May that be our cry. Lord, here we are tonight. We want you to speak to our hearts through your word. We want to see you more clearly than we ever have before. Because we know in our own strength, Lord, we're nothing. We can have no impact on this world. That's a Christ-rejecting world. It is. We have to face that. That the majority of people don't have any time for Jesus Christ. But you as the light of the world, Jesus in you as light of the world, brings that warmth, brings that attraction. May we not be under a table, but up on a stand so people can be drawn to us. That we can give them Christ's love. Let's go to verse 2. God is a jealous, God is jealous, and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Now one thing in the book of Nahum is you see God's grace, his mercy, his love, his long-suffering, but you also see his wrath. You see his anger. There's two sides of it. 
Think of the pillar of fire uh, during the nighttime when uh, Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Think of the cloud by day. Got to remember there were two sides on that cloud. There were the Egyptians on one side. Also the pillar of fire, there were the Egyptians on one side. There were the Israelis on the other side. One was darkness and confusion. The other was light and direction. Where are we on that cloud and on that sun? Where are we, that fire? Are we being led by God's Holy Spirit or are we confused in our direction? Remember, the Bible says God is not a God of confusion. If you feel confused, just get into his map, his word. His word is the map. If you're not Jewish and you're here tonight, because of God's chosen people, the Jews, we've been grafted in with the Jews. We've been grafted in. This Bible then becomes our map, becomes our life book. With them, for Jew and Gentile, God has reached out through Jesus Christ to both the Jew and the Gentile. This is our map from Genesis to Revelation. It's inexhaustible. It's a black hole of information that we continue to just keep getting more and more out of it as we spend time in it. In Romans 12, 17 to 21, it says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry... I'm going to say that again. If your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, not your family member, not your friend, not your relative that you haven't seen in a while, it says, you can do that too, by the way. That's okay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, that doesn't mean his head will catch on fire. That's not what that's saying. Back in these days, um, burning coals would be carried to, like I would come to your house, get burning coals, and I go to help my fireplace get lit. So it's a blessing. It's not a curse. So it's a blessing, these burning coals. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So in verse 2, it talks about God being a jealous God, but it also talks about God being an avenger. Okay? Better, better than any superhero. Better than any Avenger movie that can come out, no matter how many they have. He's marvelous in our sight. But we have this here that God is not only Avenger, vengeance is my, says the Lord. He'll take care of whatever's going on in your life if you're being attacked from others. Just give that person a blessing. Pray for them. Okay? God knows their hearts and where they're going to be. Let Him work a miracle. But God is a jealous God, which is awesome. God has a jealousy for you so great 
that he came down and died on a cross for you. He is jealous for you. He wants nothing to interfere with his love for you. Anything. Verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. The Lord is slow to anger. How grateful are we that the Lord is slow to anger? Huh? Can you imagine if you were God? How many people would still be on this earth? Right? But His long-suffering, okay? He is slow to anger and He's great in power. Notice He will not acquit the wicked. That simply means He's not going to let them off the hook. They will face judgment. Every sin will be paid for one of two ways. Either in hell or at the cross. Those are the only two ways sinners are going to be paid for. At the cross or in hell. If you're a believer, all your sins have been paid for at the cross. If you're not a believer, your sins will be paid for by you through an eternity in hell. That seems wild, doesn't it? An eternity in hell to pay for your sins. The reason is you can't pay for your own sins. Because you're not perfect. Okay, but Jesus is perfect. He was the unblemished lamb who died on the cross, shed his blood for you, and then was resurrected three days later to show that he had his father's stamp of approval on the death on the cross for your sins and for mine. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. God can use things in nature to bring people to the knowledge of Him. I remember in Sandy. I remember 9-11. All those things that happened in the name of Jesus Christ, that people were attracted to God because of loving people that were going out of their way to minister to those who were hurting. And it's still going on by some from Sandy. I know one woman who has a list of about 20 people she's still getting furniture and clothes for. They're still displaced. And that's a few years ago now. But they know the love of Christ through just this one person. It's pretty cool. And the clouds are the dust of His feet. Think about when you're on a dusty road and you're walking and the dust is being kicked up behind you. You're traveling in a certain direction. How cool is it, the uh, picture that the clouds are the dust of God's feet. God is always on the move. He's moving after you and me to bring us to that place He wants us to be. And He's moving after those people who are rejecting Him. And that can be like we saw in the book of Jonah. The Ninevites who were treacherous. They were cruel. But if you remember in the book of Jonah, there was a repentance. And they all came back to him. And God spared that land. Everybody repented. There was a revival. Millions of people came to the Lord. 
And if you remember Jonah, Jonah was upset that he only said eight words. And it was probably the greatest revival in the history of the world based on eight words. Verse 4, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. You know, we think of the Red Sea that God dried up to allow the Israelites to cross over it. He can do anything he wants with his creation. He can drive up every river or make it overflow. He can burn every valley or make every valley just bloom with life. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Think about the earthquakes. You know, you think about one day Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives and there's going to be a great earthquake and it's going to split the region of the Garden of Gethsemane right to Jerusalem. You talk about the fault line that's under California right now. Some say it goes all the way to the East Coast. What does God have prepared in nature to get people's attention? We saw the movie here, Left Behind, the rapture of the church. That's going to shake people to the core. The world will come up with a lie to try to explain that away, but there's going to be probably millions of people who know what happened, and they're going to be some of the people that tell others about Jesus Christ because they were left behind, because they didn't believe while they were here. Think about those things that God wants to do while we are here. Time is precious. Satan knows his time is short. Verse 6, who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Again, think, I think about his long suffering right here. How patient he's been since the flood. Since the time of Noah, how patient he's been with the world. He hasn't destroyed the world again. But the Bible says the next time it's destroyed, it's going to be through fire. But he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance. Thank God for his long-suffering. But notice the last couple verses there. His fury is poured out like fire. When God's fury comes, it'll be like that consuming fire, a raging fire that just consumes everything in its path. I believe up to this point in history, he's been trying throughout the world to get people's attention. But when his fury is unleashed, people will know that no doubt, this is God himself doing this. Psalm 18.9 says, He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. Psalm 11.6, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Psalm 
Some people are turned off by fire and brimstone preachers. But understand the importance of the cross was to bring people to the saving knowledge that they did not have to go to hell. That there is a destination that we're all headed to. It's either going to be heaven or hell. I shared it with you before. I had to come to that conclusion and deciding to follow Christ. Was Jesus who he said he was? Or was he a liar? And of course, I believe he is who he said he was. The Savior of the world. God himself. In human flesh. That we'll either be caught up in the clouds to see him again. Or when we die here, we'll be in his presence immediately. Verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. We know the Lord is good, he's great, he's awesome. And I know many of you, including myself, he's been a stronghold in times of trouble. Hopefully we don't run to him only when we're in trouble, but he's our stronghold through the good times and the bad times. I remember I used to run to him when it was bad times. And that was an immaturity on my part. Now I want to be in his stronghold all the time. Through the good and the bad, it doesn't matter. He knows those who trust in him. How does he know if you trust in him or not? Think of somebody on this earth that you trust. And I asked you the question, why do you trust them? Where did that trust come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came through a relationship, right? You know that person. You know them over a period of time. Trust has been built over a period of time through little trust activities that you didn't know was going on at the time. Well, it's no different with our God. That it's all about relationship. That's all it is. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the creator of the universe with the Almighty God that has a name. He has a name. He's revealed it to us in His Son. Jesus Christ. No one else knows the name of their God. It's all speculation. They don't have a relationship. They have rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. Things that they have to do. Things that they have to sacrifice. Where our God sacrificed himself so that we wouldn't have to. He went to the cross and died so our sons and daughters don't have to. It's a relationship. It's a love relationship. Verse 8. But with an, overflow, but with an overflowing flood... He will make an utter end of its place and darkness will pursue his enemies. An interesting thing by this uh, Bible teacher called Boyce. I'm just going to read a couple uh, things from him. 
He said the overflowing flood was fulfilled both figuratively and literally. According to secular accounts, during the final siege of Nineveh by a rebel army of Persians, Medes, Arabians, and Babylonians, unusually heavy rains caused the rivers to flood and to undermine the city walls, which then collapsed. The invading armies entered the city through this breach in its defenses. How about that one? Now remember, this is a prophecy by Nahum to Nineveh. And this water deteriorated the wall so these armies could march right in. If you remember Nineveh from Jonah, it was a massive, it was a three-day journey to when you entered Nineveh to get to the other side. It took you three days of walking. That's how big this city was. It was surrounded. It was a wall fortress surrounded. They could drive three chariots. One, two, three. That's how wide the wall was that you could walk around on the top of it. So this was no little fort. This wasn't the Alamo. This was huge. Yet these conquering armies went in there because this was a hundred years after Nineveh repented. They went back to their old ways. One of the things it tells me is that God doesn't have grandchildren. You have to choose Jesus Christ by yourself. It doesn't matter if your parents were Christians. That doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't matter if I'm a Christian to my daughter. It's an individual choice that we all have to make. For we will stand before God one-on-one -on -one based on that choice. He will embrace us and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come into the place I prepared for you before the foundation of the world. That blows my mind. That blows my mind that God knows, knew today that I'd be up here and you'd be sitting there. He knew that before the foundation of the world. Or he's going to say to those people, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you. Depart from me. And go to the place I've created for the devil and his angels temporary place called hell that one day will be thrown into the lake of fire. But that doesn't have to happen if you want that relationship with him. Because it's all about relationship. The second part of this uh, biblical scholar named Boyce, he said the utter end of its place was also literally fulfilled. Not only were these people lost from history, even the city was lost until it was discovered by archaeologists beginning in the 1840s. So God's word was fulfilled. It always is. But here's just another evidence. It took until the 1840s for them to start digging and finding some remnants of the city of Nineveh. Verse 9. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. And this was directed at Nineveh. It hasn't risen up. It won't rise up again. God made an utter end of it. But again, the thing that I think about is just think of the turmoil over in the Middle East today. 
And again, I shared this in Jonah. Just think of the demonic forces that must still be there. And it's still in that section of the world, just like it was thousands of years ago. It's incredible to me that the same demonic spirits that were there pushing everything at that point in history is pushing something now at this point in history. Just influencing different people and leaders. Pray for your leaders. There's warfare going on, as Ephesians 6 always says. The principality and powers that are going on, it, it's phenomenal. Verse 10, For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. And again, remember, this is targeted at Nineveh. And think about, if again, I don't know if you garden, but if you do, think about thorn bushes. And if you can't untangle the thorns and all the branches are intertwined, one of the things it's doing is it's sucking the life from the bush. And a lot of times the gardener will just take it out or throw it in the fire. Similar to this. The people in Nineveh, 100 years later, didn't pay attention to what happened. 100 years before to their relatives. So they were back as a vicious, bloodthirsty, arrogant nation. And the king of the time that this was going on that we're reading in Nahum was arrogant. He didn't even want pagan eye. He wanted to be worshipped himself. He was self-centered. He was bringing all the attention on himself. How many leaders are like that today in our world? And while drunken like drunkards, think of a drunken person, how they're made fun of or they stumble around. They return to their own vomit. This is what Nineveh did. And they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. Another word for the stubble is the, you know, it's like the dried hay. It's just blown away. It's just, it's, it's nothing. It's just chaff. Verse 11, from you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through, though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. Now this is talking about the people who, who were under captivity to the Assyrians. God is telling them that they're not going to be afflicted anymore by the Assyrians. One of the things that's going to be taking place is the Babylonians are going to be coming in to defeat the Assyrians. And because the Israelites turned their back on God once again, guess who they went into captivity with? Another nation, the Babylonians. We don't learn, do we? We don't learn. May we be people who learn and not have to learn the hard way. That we take God at his word. Verse 13, For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. Remember, the Israelites were under bondage, just like in Egypt. They were under bondage to the Assyrians. Okay, they were their slaves. They were being killed. They were being beaten. 
And notice what's taking place. Their yoke is being broken off. Their bonds are being torn apart. And you might be saying, you know, this is pretty good, a history lesson and all this stuff, but what does it have to do with me here in 2015? <clears throat> Everything. Everything. Because everything that this nation went through, it's rebellion. It's turning its back on God. Happens to us individually. God wants to keep your attention 24-7, attention, 365. If you're in sin tonight, he wants to break those bonds of your sin. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he, your, his Holy Spirit is available to you. But it's not listening and it's not head knowledge. The head knowledge has to go down and penetrate into your heart, into your spirit to, to have any effect. There are people right down the road at Princeton that might know Genesis to Revelation because they read it and can explain it, but they don't have the spirit of the living God in them, so they don't get the whole picture. So you might have the head knowledge, you need the heart knowledge. And there's a lot of people that are in hell right now by probably about 12 inches. They had the head knowledge, but they didn't have the heart knowledge. You must receive Jesus Christ into your heart, into your very being. He needs to permeate you. You need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's available to everybody that hears the sound of his word being preached or read. Verse 14, the Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Speaking about the practices of the Assyrians and the Ninevites. That name is not perpetuated anymore. We don't know the Ninevites anymore. We know where they used to live, but they aren't home anymore. There's no one home. Now, they've been replaced by other people who are rejecting Jesus Christ. But remember, thousands, thousands in that area are coming to the knowledge of Christ through visions and dreams and then spreading that to others. Notice God says, I will cut off the carved image and the molded images. And just before that, it says, out of the house of your gods, I will dig your grave. The king actually was killed by his two sons. And guess where he was killed? Right in the temple that he worshipped the pagan gods. The king of Assyria was killed right in the temple where he worshipped his pagan god. By his two sons. Verse 15, Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast. Perform your vows. For the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Isaiah 52.7 uses a similar expression as we see in verse 15 and 
I'm sure some of you are familiar with that, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. In Isaiah, Isaiah marvels at the beauty of the feet who brings good news. Nahum would definitely agree with Isaiah because those who bring good tidings have beautiful feet. They partner with God for the salvation of men. Now the feet, the beautiful feet, speak of activity, motion, progress. And those who are active and moving in the work of preaching the gospel have beautiful feet. They're carrying a great message, the main message. Throughout eternity, they're given the main message. The message that will ring through the eons and eons of time. In Isaiah, the good news is coming of the Messiah. In Nahum, the good news is the defeat of the enemies of God's people. Revelation 17 and 18 describe the fall of Babylon, representing the world system and all of its support structure. Revelation 18, 9 to 19 shows how the kings and merchants of the earth mourned at the fall of Babylon because that was their economy. Came down like the World Trade Center, the prediction of this. But Revelation 18, 20 through 19, 6 shows how heaven rejoiced over the fall of the world system. There's your flesh and the spirit. The spirit is going to rejoice over the fall of the world system. The flesh is going to grieve. Are we people of the flesh or are we people of the spirit? That's a daily choice that we all have. As Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, acceptable to the Lord. For it's the right thing to do and not to be conformed by this world system but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way we can renew it is in His Word. To meditate on it, to read it, to chew on it, to break it up, to make it part of us. What was mourned on earth was applauded in heaven. The falling of the world system was applauded in heaven. It was mourned on earth. And the same principle applies in Nahum's prophecy of Nineveh's fall. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. As they did in Nineveh. Don't harden your heart. Allow him to soften it. Say, you know what, Pastor? I am a, I am a Christian, but I want a softer heart and, and bigger ears, spiritually, to receive of you and allow it to penetrate my heart. And if you're not a believer whether you're here or you're listening, then allow, allow that same living God who you will meet on one side of the cloud or the other, either as Savior or as Judge, to soften your heart and allow Him to come in. And it's so simple. He's done it all. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. But there's a repentance. You're going a certain direction. It's opposite God. And you turn, and you say, God, I'm, I'm turning from 
my lifestyle and I want to follow your lifestyle. I don't know all that that entails, but I'm listening to your spirit knocking on my heart's door and I want to let you in. And you just say, Lord, come in. I'm a sinner. I know you shed your blood for me. I know you rose from the dead for me. I want to start a new life with you today. And you can do that. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.